from Luminary and Built It Productions, it's Wisdom from the Top. Stories of crisis, failure, turnaround, and triumph from some of the greatest leaders in the world. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, the story of Greg Wasson, former CEO of Walgreens. I mean, anybody in their right mind might think, hey, some of these decisions, you know, they may not turn out the, the way you'd like to. But I didn't entertain that thought. I think that we are doing the absolute right thing for this company and our shareholders and our employees. And if indeed it's not, and, you know, there's personal risk, so be it. How a young Midwestern pharmacy student joined Walgreens as an intern and climbed all the way to the top of the company. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Greg Wasson had a pretty modest professional dream. He wanted to own his own pharmacy in his hometown of Monticello, Indiana, population 5,378. So he studied hard, he got into Purdue University where he trained to become a pharmacist, and he started to pursue that dream. Except his life kind of took an unexpected turn when he got recruited to do an internship at Walgreens. And Greg would go on to spend the rest of his professional career at the company, eventually becoming its CEO. And it was in that role where he realized that for him, being CEO meant being the company's chief communicator, which he'll talk about a little later. But for now, all you need to know is that Greg grew up, as I mentioned, in rural Indiana, where he was the middle child of five kids. My dad was a, you know, a salesman of, you know, home improvements, and and uh, and he opened and operated a campground on the side. We, you know, my siblings, we operated, we we helped run the campground for. You know, through high school and, you know, through some of the early college years. Wow. Um, so we learned how to work hard. Um, 
and had a lot of fun. Frankly, the the campground that we owned and operated in, I tell people it was almost like on uh, weekends in the summers uh, going to a summer camp every weekend because we had instead of going somewhere we had kids showed up every, that showed up every weekend and we were always able to get a ball game going or or something obviously in the Hoosier state you know I grew up playing basketball just for, as often as I possibly could but uh, you know and I think I think about my dad and certainly uh, who's 89 still wow. still with us my mom passed you know this past April but you know, he was probably one of my my earliest business mentors. I can still recall him saying, "Hey, Greg, with the campground, they all, you know, what we need to do is find something people desire, price it fairly, and service the heck out of them." <laughs> and, and business may not be that simple, but certainly those are three key, you know, important points. Yeah. So neither of your parents had college degrees, right? No. And no, and, and when you were growing up, was that an expectation that you would go to college? Yeah, it's a good question. I think certainly it was encouraged. Um, and the challenge was we didn't have, you know, the resources. So uh, I did get a college loan, you know, and uh, it paid it off over 10 years. But we were always encouraged. It wasn't easy. Um, yeah. I, I joke that I had two great uncles. Uh, who were pharmacists and drove big Cadillacs. Uh, <laughs> so I decided to enter pre-pharmacy school and, you know, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and started there. Yeah. So you go off to Purdue yeah. and you decide to study um, pharmacy to become a pharmacy student because you had these relatives who drove Cadillacs and were pharmacists. <laughs> so you thought, well, maybe I can get a Cadillac. But that was really the reason? I mean, it was, it was, that, it was that simple? <laughs> it really wasn't that simple. It was, they were my, my first introduction uh, to the profession of pharmacy for sure. Yeah. I joke about the fact that they drove Cadillacs, but certainly I was good in school. I worked hard during high school. I was good in math and science. Purdue was close. And Purdue had one of the top pharmacy programs in the nation at the time. Hmm. And I always did want to go into business. And back in the early 80s, um, late 70s, community pharmacists, independent you know, pharmacies were were predominant. And so my goal was to go through pharmacy school and own my own pharmacy. Yeah. So while you were at Purdue, I guess you, I mean, already as a student, you started to do internships uh, mm. at Walgreens, like as before you even graduated. Is that, is that right? Yes, I did. I There happened to be a, a Purdue alumni uh, that was running, you know, what was called then the pharmacy services department within Walgreens in Deerfield. And he yeah, he tapped me on the shoulder and and uh, spent a summer as an intern with the Walgreen corporate office in Deerfield, uh, learning more about retail pharmacy and and the business itself. Hmm. And it sounds like that was it. I mean, you you. I mean, if if I, we go back in time, and I would have told you, 1981, that this was going to be your career, your life's career. Would you would you believed it? No. No, not at all. I, you know, the advice I actually got from my mentor, a guy named Bill Hatfield, that summer was, "Greg, hey, we understand you want to own and operate your own drugstore. You know, go move to Houston, Texas when hmm. you graduate. Um, you know, at the time, Walgreens had, I think, twenty-five, you know, thirty stores in Houston. It just made an acquisition of, a, of another twenty-five or so, and they're going to need manpower. They're going to need management. You could get ahead quickly and um, and learn how to manage a right. and run a drugstore on our dime. Huh. And then huh. you can either, you know, after a few years, go, you know, try to run your own, or you stay with us. And thirty-five years later, yeah. <laughs> and, but that was the idea. The idea was, look, I want to yeah. be actually want to be an entrepreneur slash pharmacist. I want to have my yeah. own store. It'll be in an independent independent store, 
And this was your idea. You know, I'll go to Walgreens, I'll learn the business, but then I'll go off and start my own little little store. Absolutely. And my wife and I got married, uh, moved to Houston, Texas, you know, and we started working. My wife's a pharmacist as well. I met her in pharmacy school. And about three months later, I was managing my own drugstore. I tell people I didn't even know what all we carried yet at the time, <laughs> let alone how to manage a store. Yeah. And, you know, good things just continued to happen. So I, I moved at the right time. It was a bold move for my wife and I to, to, to leave home and move, you know, 1,500, 2,000 miles away. You know, uh, you know, I ran one store and must have done okay and was presented a second store and a third store and a fourth store. And uh, so back to your original question, did I did I know in 1981 that I wanted to be the CEO of the Walgreens Company? No. Uh, hmm. You know, I wanted to run a drugstore and be an entrepreneur. And, you know, at the time, back then, the, the local pharmacist was somewhat like the mayor of town. You were, yeah, of course. You know, everybody knew you. You knew everybody. Sure. And, uh, and uh, so, no, I had no... Uh, I, I don't think I really knew what it meant to be a corporate executive at yeah. the time. Yeah. I mean, is you you were not. I mean, you go to business school. You're not. You weren't even on that track. You. It sounds no. like you really were committed to actually being a pharmacist. It sounds like you you really never got a chance to be be a pharmacist. Well, yeah, exactly. I I um, so with Walgreens, I went straight into. Uh, store management, and actually, you know, back then you would practice, you would do, you would work a shift or two in the pharmacy, uh, but but most of the time I was out managing the store, and so I really never spent full time as a pharmacist, but it definitely gave me, I think, as an advantage of understanding the profession as I did climb the corporate ladder. Hmm. You would eventually move to Boston to manage. Uh, three states um, for Walgreens mm-hmm. up there, mm-hmm. and uh, still pretty, you know, pretty pretty young guy. And now you're sort of early 30s. And I guess that after uh, you know several years there, you were asked to to sort of move to Las Vegas uh, and help manage the rollout there. And you initially said, "No, I don't, I don't want to do it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, so. I'd been in Boston seven years and. And, uh, you know, we had met friends, and it's the longest I'd ever lived in any one place. And when I was offered the Las Vegas market and the opportunity to go out and open it, I thought about, you know, the move and did we really want to at the time. And it was probably a couple months later, my wife and I and girls were headed toward, you know, northern Vermont on a ski trip. And mm-hmm. the girls were had finally fallen asleep in the back of the car. And uh, I mentioned it to my wife, and there was a pause. And she said, you know what, Greg? It's probably inevitable that we're going to move. Why don't you take that opportunity? Hmm. So we up and moved, you know, with two young daughters to Las Vegas and opened the market from scratch, and it was an exciting time. This was in the early 90s. Um, yeah. Was, it sounds like, um, from, from what I've read, Las Vegas would become a turning point in your career. Because at that point, you were a manager, and obviously, you, you know, there were people who knew you at, in, in sort of corporate headquarters. But it sounds like Las Vegas really, um, your visibility increased um, with that, that position. What happened in Las Vegas to, to kind of make your star rise? I would agree with that. And I think it was the mid-90s, I think 96 to 99, Vegas was, was growing mm. you know, you know, rapidly at the time. So that, that's, that helped. Because Walgreens was not in, in Las Vegas. That's right. So you were introducing this brand to a brand new community. Exactly. So mm-hmm. we opened, we opened a, uh, you know, a handful of stores you know, in early 96 and, 
It was just a fast-growing market. We were bringing in experienced managers as the, as the nucleus to build upon. We had the freedom to do unique things that were unique to the market. I'll give you one example. One night, my wife and I are coming home from, from dinner, and uh, you know, I'm sitting at an intersection with, with one of our existing stores that closed at 10 o'clock. Uh, and it's about 10.30, and there are just cars lined up in every direction uh, in front of the store, and we're dark. Hmm. Um, so it hit me. Uh, why not uh, brand Walgreens as, you know, Las Vegas open 24 hours? Hmm. And we did, and, you know, the town, t- the, the, the market took off like a rocket. Wow. It's 20, so that, that single switch to 24 hours what be- became this, this turning point. It was... Not probably not that one thing. I think that was certainly a big part of it. Hmm. Uh, the fact that we had uh, good locations, we were getting there early. We had good people. We got into all of the uh, pharmacy networks, you know, early on. But I, I do think if I were th- to think of one pivotal action, you know, taking the first 10, 12 drugstores 24 hours, I think definitely set us apart from everyone else in the town. Hmm. What was I mean? I think. Many Walgreens across the country today are 24 hours. Uh, were they at that time? Yeah, we had we had 24 hour stores at the time. This was just a fact that you know a third of the workforce in Las Vegas at the time, if I recall, worked overnight. Overnight, and, right? Yeah, and we were closed, so it was um, it was uh, an exciting time and and uh, paid off for us. Hmm. So that role really kind of um, increased your visibility within the company and. It seems like at that point, you know, 1999, there were people who sort of saw you as maybe a potential leader of the company. Do you think that you saw in yourself the, the potential to be the CEO of the company at that point in, in, in the late 90s? Did you think, you know, I, I think I can run this place? I, I think the thing I learned is that I really loved uh, the innovative part of of running drugstores and trying to find, figure out ways to uh, grow the business. But I always focused on every single role I was in. Hmm. You know, every role I was in, I just tried to be the best that I could possibly be, hmm. enjoy what I was doing, and frankly, good things just continued to happen for me. Yeah. Now, had had I not been given that Vegas market opportunity, and maybe I'd have, if I'd have gone to another market or stayed in Boston, maybe I would not have gotten you know, uh, the visibility or been noticed. But I was focused on, you know, one of my uh, friends was opening up a, a market in the Northwest and someone was opening up the Dallas market. And we were too busy competing with each other to try to open the best new market, you know, that we could op- possibly open. You know, I'm, I'm curious because uh, within 10 years of, of your success in Las Vegas, you, you were named the CEO, of course. But, you know, I think about where you grew up, right? This small town, um, there's a and it's a little bit of a stereotype, but there's sort of a midwestern modesty, right? Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. wonder, you know, corporate becoming a corporate CEO. I mean, there's this idea that you got to have sharp elbows and you got to play office politics and you got to fight and claw for that position. It's a greasy pole. Uh, but you don't strike me as the kind of person who had a, a a whole lot of interest in that kind of fight. Yeah, yeah. And did I desire, you know, for the next opportunity that would be you know after that yes but i just didn't get caught up in it and, yeah and i think part of it was i you know grew up with modest in a modest uh uh with a modest childhood and 
frankly, by the time I'd become a regional vice president, I had succeeded. <laughs> yeah, right, beyond <laughs> anyone's. Yeah, beyond what I thought possible. Yeah. All right. So 2009, you are named CEO of Walgreens. Um, mm-hmm. Your predecessor had resigned um, after just uh, uh, two years on the job. Mm-hmm. It was a tough, tough moment at Walgreens because the company had, had tried to bid on Long's drugs. It lost that bid to CVS, a huge rival, right? So mm-hmm. it's 500 stores, drug stores that, that uh, CVS picked up on the West Coast. Uh, I remember that. I remember uh, all those Long's drugs turning into CVS. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in some ways, uh, a, a really bad time to take over, but I guess in some ways a good time because there really was nowhere else to, except to go up, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you know, um, I think it was both a fortunate and unfortunate time, I guess, to your point. You know, um, you know we would come off of that um, failed transaction, I guess I would call it, and then coming out of the Great Recession, right? So one of the first things we did as, a, as an executive team is, you know, step back and, and try to understand what, you know, does the future look like? You know, uh, we had had uh, a very successful strategy uh, for nearly two decades of, you know, finding the best corners in America, um, signing good, fair, long-term leases, and uh, and opening stores uh, and running them with excellence. Say, so, okay, how long, you know, how long of a runway do we have? You know, how many more stores can we open in America? And then as we looked up and we had, you know, whatever, 7,000, 7,500 drugstores in all 50 states at the time, you know, we had to, we had to, Step back and say, okay, if we open more, you know, you know, do we cannibalize existing stores? And that's when, you know, we made the decision that, you know, with e-commerce, you know, you know, coming on as it was, we didn't have the runway to open stores at the pace we had. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. 
Cloud 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. You're taking over a company that, that obviously had pretty good fundamentals, but you are now, you have the keys to the kingdom, right? You can do all kinds of things. And for the average consumer, you know, CVS, Walgreens, there's a, not a whole lot that where, you know, that can be differentiated. What was your idea for how you were going to make Walgreens different for how, how are you going to pull the CVS customer into Walgreens? Yeah, and it and it took a while to to, to work through that and 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 figure that out. Frankly, um, you know, the first was okay. What can we do with the front end? You know, we yeah. know that there is a growing health and wellness trend within the country. So what we tried to do with the front end was to transform it into more of a wellness center. Hmm. Second, and this was probably one of the bigger biggies, was we wanted to make sure that we advanced the role that community pharmacy uh, could play in healthcare. Hmm. You know, pharmacists, you know, are have been one of the most accessible and trusted healthcare professionals in the country. Sure. You know, we felt and I felt that we could expand the services and provide things like immunizations and vaccinations and so forth and others. And so we wanted to make sure that we moved more from a community pharmacy to a community healthcare provider. Mm. And then the third uh, strategy was if indeed we found uh, a, an international partner that we felt was um, a good choice, then we would look at potentially becoming international. Hmm. One of your first major decisions, uh, which I think was, I think at that point, the biggest thing that Walgreens had ever done was to acquire Dwayne Reed, the drugstore chain in New York. I think it was this was the biggest acquisition, right, that Wal- Walgreens had made at that at that point. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think I think it was, and uh, you know, and we had looked at um, that chain over the years, and uh, certainly Dwayne Reed was a strong brand, been been in operation I think since the fifties, uh, had several locations, uh, obviously throughout Manhattan and the five in the in the in the five boroughs, and I remember talking to my to my board, and my executive team at one time, and saying, you know, you know, it could take us you know multiple generations. Uh, to organically open this number of locations and get a real presence in New York, yeah. Um, and and I give credit to uh, I forget the private equity group. I think it might have been Oak Hill brought in a, a taken Dwayne Reed private and brought in a management team, and they'd done some really neat things hmm. with Dwayne Reed in the locations uh, that they had remodeled and, and brought in some some services. And I really liked where they were going with uh, their concept. In fact, I can recall talking to my executive team after having spent uh, a weekend kind of incognito with baseball caps and sunglasses and so forth on in their stores and ours. Uh, I came back and said, you know, Dwayne Reed's got something here. They're, they're, they're kind of stepping out of the traditional drugstore model and leaving the rest of us behind to compete in the same model. And uh, we could not only gain a real presence uh, in the Northeast by looking at, at, at this uh, at them, but also, you know, some real innovation that we could possibly pull back through the rest of our chain. And that's ultimately what we what we did. Hmm. So, um, you know, there are obviously all kinds of leaders, right? There are uh, charismatic leaders or quiet leaders. I'm wondering, did you find 
that you had to be charismatic or or because I, I mean there is something about being Midwestern and modest that sometimes comes in a conflict with being charismatic, right? I mean, being charismatic can be seen as also being, um, I don't know, you know, a bit, a bit of a show-off. Yeah, you know, I, I, I always thought of myself and tried to come across with humble confidence or confident humility. Yeah. And, yeah, there are days, I think, with any leader where there's some anxious moments, Um and some, you know, you've got some sleepless nights, and whenever those were the times that, frankly, I left the corporate office and went out and and visited drugstores and spent time in the field with our people and our distribution centers, our stores, because yeah. I got energized from them. Yeah, um, you know, our people, frankly, had a can-do attitude, and you know, I may be down the dumps or trying to figure something out, and I'd get out there and get energized. We had two hundred fifty thousand smart people across the United States, and and someone out there may just have the answer to one of our questions or you know, a solution to a problem we're wrestling with. Mm. We just have to get out there and, and give them the opportunity to present it to us. And, yeah. and if you're sitting in you know, a corporate office, you're not going to be able to get out there and potentially uh, learn that uh, from someone out there. All right. Let me ask you here. Um, 2011, Walgreens, uh, you had this this partnership with a company called Express Scripts, and, and mm-hmm. this was a huge business for you. I think it was like $5 billion in annual sales. It was a way for people to fill their prescriptions at Walgreens. And in 2011, you couldn't come to terms to renew the deal because um, they wanted a greater share of the profit, and that was – I'm assuming that was what the, the dispute was over. They, they also worked with other uh, big, big companies. Yes, um, you know, and obviously we wanted a, a fair reimbursement for the services to provide. Sure, and you know we had the opportunity to to work with others, you know, who valued you know what we were providing, and that's where our focus was. And uh, and they left, and this had a huge impact on on the bottom line. Like your Walgreens sales suffered. And and I know, I'm sure and this is a very complicated story with a complicated negotiation. But um, you took heat for for kind of holding firm on this, for saying, "Look, we're not." I, I'm assuming that the terms that they wanted were terms that you just didn't find acceptable. Yeah, it was. Um, it, you know, there are probably times in every leader's you know tenure, whether it's a CEO or, or uh, whoever it might be, that you're going to have big decisions like that. And uh, yeah, and and those are the times where. Uh, they ca- they may come with personal risk, yeah. And you have to set that aside. And uh, so yeah, we it was a that was a, a big decision. You know, certainly we we took a stand. You know, we thought it was absolutely in the best interest of the of the company and our shareholders. Um, I mean, just to put this into context, I think Express Scripts when the deal fell apart, they walked away with eighty eight million annual prescriptions. So so it was like a subscription service essentially that they walked away with all these customers. Um, so it's, it's a big decision to make. I'm, I'm assuming that you just felt like what they were asking for was was unfair. So at the time, you know, we did not feel that it made sense to fill those prescriptions at what was being offered. And we took that stand. And uh, and it was it was you know a stand not only for our company but you know to some degree for the entire industry. Yeah, um, 
analysts estimated that the dispute cost Walgreens about $4 billion in annual revenue. And, and obviously, as you remember, it set off a decline, a steep decline in the, in the share price of Walgreens. Um, it would be resolved in about a year. But during that time, do you remember what, what, what life was like for you personally? Was it, I mean, it, can't, it cannot have been easy. <laughs> no, again, any, any big decision like that, they aren't easy. Uh, uh, but you know, you, then, you have to, then you have to really step up and be a leader and and make sure that you know you're communicating the why as much as the how or the what and so i spent an enormous amount of time uh, communicating with all stakeholders as to the why and what we're doing you know to offset it uh, to keep people you know uh, confident and engaged mm. and uh, so uh, i always have felt over the course of my career that you know, people want to understand the why behind something as much as the what or the how, mm. and they may not always agree with what you're doing, but if at least if they understand the why, then you know they'll have a little bit more tendency to give you, you know, a little more support and a little more uh, slack. Op- yeah, yeah, sure. slack. And yeah. Uh, were you ever worried, Greg, that you would be, I don't know, but the board would fire you? Uh, I can honestly say never. And hmm. now, does that mean I didn't think they <laughs> that there could be repercussions? No, I mean anybody, you know, uh, in the right mind might think, hey, some of these decisions when you have to make a big stand, you know, they may not turn out the the way you'd like to. But I guess what I really would say is that didn't that didn't enter. I didn't entertain that thought. I just didn't. I never have, uh, and never did. It goes back to my upbringing. I think the fact that look, I think that we are doing the absolute right thing for this company and our shareholders and our employees. And, you know, if indeed it's not and, uh, you know, there's personal risk, that so be it. You know, I can go back to farming and run help and find a campground in Indiana to run if I have to. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. You could run a campground in, in Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you 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 get through this and you eventually in 2012, you uh, Walgreens and Express Scripts, do come to an agreement to bring uh, the, the two businesses back together, but the probably the most momentous. I mean, you had three huge sort of momentous um, and very public experiences: Dwayne Reed, the acquisition, and then the, this this thing with Express Scripts. And the third, probably the most important, the biggest, was the decision uh, to uh, enter into a, a strategic partnership with. Alliance Boots, which was a, a, an overseas pharmacy. Many, many people have been to Boots, the chemist in, in the UK and in Ireland. Um, 2012, Walgreens decides to buy uh, a 45% stake in Alliance Boots. Um, tell, me, tell me a little bit about that idea and why that made sense at the time. Well, yeah, and I'll go all the way back to uh, when I first became CEO in 2009. I think it might have been late 2009, early 2010, suggestion from one of my executive leaders was, um, you know, there's a lot of innovation that's going on around the world with other retailers. You know, it's not all happening within Walgreens. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why don't we put a small team together and let's um, let's let's go around the world and, and let's let's look uh, at what's going on with some of the more innovative retailers uh, out there. And, um, you know, Japan, and I think they ended up going into Bangkok and just all over, just looking at, you know, just creative, innovative retailers. And we ended up 
uh, in the UK in the last two or three days and spent time with Boots. And, uh, and we kept coming back to, you know, this is a great you know, drugstore founded in 18, I think, 63 by, by Jesse Boot and uh, would be a good fit with a lot of opportunity for the two. And th- this was essentially a gigantic international merger, a, a, like a very large and complex deal, like, like 13 or 14,000 stores uh, in, in 27 countries, I guess. Um, but, but it was also a very public merger, right? Because Walgreens is obviously well-known to, to, to U.S. consumers. Um, and so, you know, there, there were, as you know, lots of stories in the news about Walgreens, like moving their headquarters overseas to avoid taxes, which you resisted. Um, but then uh, toward the end of the merger in like 2014, there were, uh, there were accounts, news accounts that powerful investors would not approve the deal until you stepped down as CEO, which you eventually did. I mean, presumably you felt pressure to do so. I mean, were you, were you essentially forced out? You know, I felt that at the time, you know, we had the opportunity to bring together the you know, the two companies create the largest platform in, in the country. Um, yeah. When we did that in December of, you know, 14, completed step two, uh, that's when I figured to use one of my old executive's lines, my work was done. And, you know, I decided that, you know, that was a good opportunity for me to retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly there were those who, you know, had opinions of, the second step and the timing of the second step and how it should be done and so forth. But, you know, uh, my decision was based on we brought, we brought the platform together and it was the right time. Hmm. I don't know. Did you feel, I mean, you've been there your whole career. You started there as a college student. Uh, one day you're the CEO and you're employed by Walgreens and the next day you're not. I mean, that was your entire professional identity for 30 years, right? Was it hard to, to, to leave? You know, I never started out, you know, you know, with the desire to become the CEO of a, well, a large public company. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was Greg who happened to become the the CEO. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. it, it never became – I never let it become my true identity. Did I – did I think of Walgreens as family and had tremendous relationships with the company? Yes, yeah, still do. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, I had the very fortunate opportunity to have retired after 35 years at still a relatively young age and now create my next chapter. And uh, I think I go all it goes all the way back to my days in Las Vegas and my days of running Walgreens Health Service and so forth. I, what really every, – every CEO has to drive execution results. But I think what every what most enjoy are trying to find ways to grow companies, and the way you grow large companies today is through innovation, hmm. and and that's what I really enjoy. So, you know, while I had you know a thirty five year first career that I absolutely loved and and uh, exceeded beyond my wildest dreams, and was able to put a incredible global platform together. You know, I now have had the opportunity in the last four years to work with my family and create some some new innovative, you know, you know businesses that, that we are co-founders of. Greg, I've read that you consider yourself an instinct-driven leader, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you actually prefer to follow your instincts rather than allowing data to drive your decision-making. There are people who, who are the reverse. They focus on data, and data is what drives their decision-making. Tell me a little bit about why you, you think instinct is it really is is sort of the way to to make decisions. I 
I like to think that I'm an, an instinct led, but data supported mm. leader. And, you know, data obviously is, is important in any decision you're making. But I think that, you know, leaders do have instincts, you know, and those instincts are, are based on years of experience and being in the business and, and that drive those instincts. But at the same time, I think that uh, I just like to use data to, to either validate or invalidate in my instincts. Mm-hmm. I will say probably earlier year, I probably didn't value the data as mm-hmm. much as I did in my later years, frankly, because there was so, so much more data that became available. Hmm. When you think about your role as CEO, now that you're sort of, you have a chance to kind of reflect on it and look at it from, from the balcony and, and evaluate other CEOs. I know you serve on boards or you have served on boards. What do you think the role of a CEO is? What, what do you think the role of a CEO ultimately needs to be? Yeah, I, I think I think they need to be someone that the stakeholders of the company uh, respect and have confidence in the trajectory and the position and the direction that they want to take a company. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be able to see around corners and see over horizons. And uh, I think you're really the, the the key strategist of the company. And and to be that, you need great people that are helping you determine and decide what that should be. But you also need the confidence of all stakeholders, especially your employees, uh, to come along with you on that journey. Some of the leaders I've interviewed have described leadership as being the ultimate cheerleader, that actually your job is to set a an overall vision, but really to allow others to execute and implement it. But but to do that, you have to really inspire people by cheering them on. Does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. I remember my oldest daughter one time asking me what I, what my job was. And I said, you know, you know, I'm, I'm the chief communicator, uh, because 90, 95% of what I do is communicate. And, uh, hmm. and what I mean by that means once you set a course and once your key people decide on the direction of the company, then you really become a, a salesman, so to speak, to try to, you know, to help people understand and, and, and get on board and support that. Yeah, you have to shop from the mountaintops. You have to help people understand. You have to listen. You have to, you know, shift direction sometimes based on that. But you really have to become the chief communicator. Hmm. Do you think you were born a leader or do you think you learned how to become a leader? Good question. Um my mother used to say all the time that, hey, Greg could be president of the United States if he wanted to be someday. But <laughs> So she must have seen something. Yeah. I, I will say this. I think I, I worked hard at everything I did, even as a kid. And whether it was working hard with my dad in, in the campground or the local farmer out in the fields or even with my studies. And uh, so, I mean, I'd come home every night. And I'd, if I needed to spend a couple hours doing my homework, that was the first thing I did. And then I went out and played ball. Um, so I think— I think I, you know, probably earned a degree of respect, you know, as a kid, but I wouldn't say I was the type that was, you know, carrying the torch and everybody was following, uh, you know, because of who I was. Uh, but I, but if I look back, I think I earned respect because of my work ethic. 
Final question for you. Do you think that Walgreens benefited from the Washington Nationals winning the World Series? <laughs> because of the logo? Because of the logo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question, guy. <laughs> I would actually I wouldn't mind seeing the lift uh, or not if if uh, because of that, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, it might have. <laughs> That's Greg Wasson, former CEO of Walgreens. Greg now serves on several boards, and he and his wife Kim founded Wasson Enterprise, a Chicago-based angel investment firm. Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. The music for this episode was composed and performed by Drop Electric. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to Wisdom from the Top from Luminary and Built It Productions. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.